wrap up our Advent series with message number four. And uh, Chris Douglas and Joseph Dobbs and myself, we've been working together to uh, put together an Advent series to bring your way. And uh, as you already have experienced, uh, Joseph and Chris, they shared with us. Well, let me just kind of just briefly give us an overview of the series that we've been doing. Uh, The series has been entitled Scandalous. And as you look at the life of Jesus, you find in his uh, lineage, his genealogy, that there are some scandalous people, okay? And as we began with week one, Advent Sunday number one, I brought to you a message and we focused on Rahab and his uh, lineage. And uh, we learned from the Bible that Rahab, of course, was a a harlot or a prostitute. And uh, what's kind of amazing, that particular individual is in Jesus' lineage, okay, and his genealogy. What a scandal, right? But one of the lessons that we pulled from Rahab's life is that, you know, the past no longer affects us when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. When we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, our past no longer has mastery over us. So that was week number one. Week number two, um, Joseph came and he shared with us, and he was talking about the scandal where we have a young teenage lady who becomes pregnant. Okay, talk about a scandal. Uh, Of course, we're talking about Mary, Mary becoming pregnant, bearing um, Jesus, And one of the things that I least gleaned from Joseph's message as he spoke about uh, Mary is that Mary was still willing to be God's servant in difficult circumstances. A lot of time when we encounter different difficult circumstances, you know, we want to just throw up our hands and say, okay, fine, you know, I'm done with it. I'm out of here. But what we find Mary doing is she's saying, okay, I trust you, Lord. I am your servant. And so she remained faithful in difficult circumstances. Now we're thinking, yeah, that was pretty tough. But remember, and Joseph did a good job of this, Mary is just human like us, okay? She didn't have some kind of, you know, superpower. She was just a lady, a human being like us, but yet she was faithful to God. Well, then after uh, Joseph shared with us. Then Chris, he shared with us, and that was, of course, last week, he talked about Joseph's response to the fact that Mary was pregnant. And, of course, Joseph, he had all, all the means. I mean, legal, uh, legal means. He could have divorced Mary, perhaps even according to law at that time, could have had her stoned and put to death because of this apparent unfaithfulness. But God appeared to Joseph and said, Joseph, I want you to take Mary as your wife. And, of course, what's wonderful here, again, even in this scandal, we find Joseph taking Mary to be his wife. And, again, in difficult circumstances, difficult circumstances, Joseph honors God. Again, he's just a man. He's a human being like us. But yet, he demonstrates the faithfulness 
that all of us can exhibit as we follow Christ. Well, this morning, we come to our last message, and we are in Matthew chapter 2, and so I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 2. What we'll do this morning is we're going to uh, work through the ver various verses of chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at this man called Herod. Uh, he's referred to as Herod the Great, and we'll talk a little bit about that as we press on. But Herod, the scandal that we have tied with Herod is that Herod had a bunch of baby boys murdered, okay? Because it didn't fit with his agenda. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, the scandal of the babies being put to death. So we're in Matthew chapter 2. Take your Bibles. Let's open up to Matthew chapter 2. Let's first of all begin by looking at uh, verses 1 through 2 together. So beginning in Matthew chapter 2, Verse 1, we read these words. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is this one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. In these first two verses of chapter 2, we find seeds of paranoia being sown into the life of Herod. Okay? So who is this Herod man? Let's talk about Herod a little bit. Let me just give you some, uh, some information about Herod. Uh, Herod, of course, he is serving as king of the Jews here. He serves as king of the Jews, not because he was elected by the Jewish population to be their king, that's not why he's in this particular position. Rather, King Herod, he has been appointed by the Romans. And that's not a good thing because the Jewish nation is at odds with the Romans. And they don't like this. And they don't like King Herod at all. So, number one here, King Herod has been appointed by the Romans to serve as king. The Jews had no say in the matter. Here's a second uh, bit of trivia with you. For you, King Herod is an Edomite. What's so special about that? Well, that means that King, or, or yeah, King Herod, he's not a Jew at all. Okay, by blood, he's not Jewish. Um, we do know that King Herod adopted the, the Judaism as his religious practice, and he did uh, show favor to the Jews in many regards. But blood-wise, he's not Jewish at all. He's not Jewish at all. And this is significant, okay, for it plays a role in his paranoia and the horrendous deeds that follows his paranoia. Okay, so, number one, he's been appointed by the Romans. Number two, blood-wise, he's not Jewish at all. And number three, uh, let's talk about his name. He's called Herod the Great. Herod the Great. Why do they call him great? Was he a wonderful man? Well, what we're going to learn here, he's not a wonderful man at all. The reason he is called Herod the Great is because he built many wonderful and magnificent structures. That's why he is great. He was a great builder. And this morning, I just want to share a few pictures with you of his work, all right? And these uh, particular pictures come from our trip uh, last, last March. We were in Israel with uh, Terry and Helen Dobbs as well. And one of the great, magnificent things that King Herod the great built is what he built a seaport 
in Tel Aviv. This is where it's located. And this particular site's called Caesarea. And uh, there is a wonderful seaport that he built here. And what I'm just showing to you, remember, he, he's called Herod the Great because he's a big builder, a great builder. Well, anyhow, this was one of his palaces here in Caesarea where he uh, had a residency. He wasn't there all the time, but he sure made sure that the accommodations were great. And so what you see out in front here, this rectangle, that's Herod the Great's swimming pool. Okay, that was his swimming pool. And I include this particular here. You have a little mosaic. Okay, what is so neat about this, this mosaic still exists today that was made, you know, and created during the time of King Herod. So King Herod served in, uh, he started serving in 37 B.C. And of course, now here we are in almost 2020 A.D., right? So we got over 2,000 years of time here. And this stuff is still here. It's still there. Okay. Pretty awesome. So again, this is testimony or even evidence and factual information that King Herod the Great it was in existence. Another great magnificent uh, creation, if you want to call it that, or one of his building endeavors was the Masada. I'm sure you've heard of the Masada. And so here's an aerial view of the Masada. It's, as you can see, it's right up on top of a mountain on a plateau. And uh, he built a fortress up there. And uh, he did that because of his paranoia. If, if somebody was after him or if the Jewish nation uh, caused a revolt to take place and his life was threatened, well, King Herod the Great would go to Masada. And as you can see, the access to Masada is very, very difficult. And there is where he would be safe. But again, this is a, a wonderful fortress that he built. Uh, up here in the Masada, this is one of the pictures that we took when we were there visiting Masada. This is on the, this is the outside wall of the Masada, you know, and it goes all the way around the wall. And I want to just ask you some questions here quick. Remember when we started the Advent season, I spoke to you about um, Rahab. Where was Rahab's home? You guys remember? She had a home in the wall of the city of Jericho, Okay. And this would be an example of that. And you can see the size here. And uh, Rahab, not this particular uh, situation, but in Jericho it would have been very similar. And so Rahab lived there. And then just, if you would look just over to the left here, you, you go, you know, you plummet way down. That's where, uh, that was the, the end, of, end of the fortress right there. And of course, um, the spies were let down uh, over through there, down the wall. So anyhow, just kind of give you a flavor of what's going on. So anyhow, Herod the Great. He's called great because he was a great builder, a great builder. But it's during this time in verses 2, we have the seeds of paranoia being sown in the life of Herod. Why is that? Well, here's a couple of things. First of all, we learn in this story here, part of our Christmas story, that uh, magi came from the east looking for... What were the Magi looking for? They were looking for the king of the Jews, okay? Why would that bother Herod? Well, remember, Herod's an Edomite. So blood-wise, he has no claim to the throne or to be the king of the Jews. And so he hears word, uh-oh, there's king of the Jews that's been born. This would be the bloodline, okay? So that becomes a threat to Herod. And secondly, 
It says here, the Magi came looking for the king of the Jews, first of all. Then it says they came to worship this new king. They came to worship this new king. Now, not only is King Herod the Great, who we were talking about this morning, not only is he paranoid, okay, and his paranoia is coming out, he's thinking, "Uh uh-oh, I got a rival here. Somebody's threatening me. He's going to take my throne. Uh, That's this paranoia coming through. But King Herod is also a narcissist. It's all about him, okay? And you see that in the building of things. You know, the Masada that we looked at in Caesarea, the big sea, magnificent seaport that he created. It's all about him. And so anyhow, the Magi come from the east, and they want to worship this new king. And Herod's thinking, hey, there is only one king, and that's me. And if you're going to do any worshiping, if you're going to bring any tribute, it's going to be to me. That's what Herod's thinking. So he's a narcissist. He's all wrapped up in himself. But what we see taking place here in verses 1 through 2 is we see the seeds of paranoia being sown into his life. Let's press on. Let's take a look at verses 3 through 6. Follow along and I'll read those verses for us. Here in verses 3 through 6, we see the root of paranoia. Okay, In verses 1 and 2, the seeds of paranoia are being sown. Here in verses 3 through 6, these seeds are taking root into his life. Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he, called to, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come, come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So in verse 3, if you'll look at it, in verse 3, we see Herod's paranoia coming to the surface. Suspicions and and rumors are now taking root in uh, King Herod's mind, and they take root in a negative way. And here's what verse 3 says. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. What did he hear? Well, he heard that these magi were coming looking for the king of the Jews. Okay? And that disturbed him. So he sees Jesus as a threat. He sees him as a threat. Now there's something else that is disturbing. Not only is King Herod disturbed, but there's something else I want to point out to you that's disturbing, at least to me, and it should be disturbing to you as well. Look with me at verses 3 through 6 there. Look, uh, King Herod asked, okay, where is this new king of the Jews born? Where do I find him? What's the location? And so he turns to the religious leaders and he turns to the teachers of the law and he asks them. And these educated men, okay, in God's word, they were able to tell exactly where Jesus was born. They said he's born in Bethlehem. That's that's what the prophets told us, okay? That's what God's word tells us. He is born in Bethlehem. What did that information do for these religious people? It didn't do a thing for them, did it? Here's a spiritual truth and lesson for us. Knowledge is wonderful, 
but it does not save you. Knowledge of the Christmas story is wonderful, but that knowledge will not save you. Entrance into the kingdom of God is achieved only through a personal relationship based on faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you. There's people that know the Christmas story. They can tell you about it. They tell their children about it. But do they believe it in here, in the heart? No, it's up here. They have the knowledge, but it never got to the heart. Knowledge does not save somebody. Knowledge does not make you worthy in God's sight. Rather, it's your faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you that makes you worthy as well as provides the inheritance of eternal life. So here in verses 3 through 6, we see the root of paranoia taking place in Herod's life. We now move on to verses 7 through 12. And in verses 7 through 12, we have the deceit of paranoia. The deceit of paranoia. Let's look at that. Beginning in verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Here you got to go. Yeah, right. Okay. After they had heard uh, the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. From these verses, we see a manifestation of Herod's paranoia. Now, trying to sound like a good guy here, we're talking about here, trying to sound like a good guy, he says to the Magi, he says, you guys, you go look for this new king of the Jews, and when you find him, tell me about it, okay? Would you guys come back and report to me and tell me where he is so that I can go and worship him too? Well, what we see taking place here is Herod's deceit, okay? The deceit of paranoia. Paranoia causes you to do things that you wouldn't normally do. And here we find Herod, he's lying through his teeth. He doesn't want to worship the newborn king. No way. In fact, we'll find out what he really wants to do. Just in a few moments here. Now this section of verses here also gives us some Christmas trivia. Let's look at some Christmas trivia, right? Now generally when we look at the nativity scene, okay, envision with me the nativity scene, and uh, we see a stable, right, and we see a manger within this stable, and we see the animals, of course, gathered around the manger, and we find Mary and Joseph there. And we also find at the nativity scene, Three, what? We find the three wise men, don't we? 
you bet, who have brought their gifts and they, they're bowed down worshiping uh, baby Jesus. But, but look with me at verse 11. Verse 11, we're informed that on coming to the house, they saw the child with Mother Mary. With Mother Mary. See that? Coming to the house. Now, the wise men, okay, I'm not trying to mess with you here and ruin your Christmas, but the wise men show up in the Christmas story a lot later than we typically, what we see in tradition. They show up a lot later. And perhaps maybe two years later in the Christmas story. And this conclusion is based on the fact that when uh, Herod was uh, wanting to eliminate baby Jesus, he was going to have all the babies that were of two years old and under eliminated. So maybe, maybe this is up to two years when the uh, wise men show up in our Christmas story. But anyhow, that's just some trivia. Um, I still love seeing the three wise men in the nativity scene. I think that's pretty awesome still. So anyhow, remember, uh, deceit has taken place. Herod is lying through his teeth to the wise man. He does not want to worship at all. Rather, we move into a new section here, verses 13 through 18, and here we have the destruction of paranoia. We move from the deceit of paranoia, where we see Herod lying. Now we move to the destruction of paranoia, what his paranoia caused him to do. Let's look at verses 13 through 18. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what, was, what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I had called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Here in these verses we have full-blown paranoia. And paranoia leads to disturbing behavior. Now we shouldn't be surprised about this, especially with Herod. I haven't shared all the biographical information about Herod with you, but we shouldn't surprise us because what I did learn, I'll just share a little bit. Uh, Herod, he, he had ten wives, and uh, history tells us that he, he became a little bit paranoid about one of his wives, felt that she was going to try and weasel in somehow and take control of the throne. So he just had her eliminated and killed. And, of course, didn't want her sons to be a problem, so he killed them as well. All right. And also, the story goes on to tell that there was a, a guy by the name of Aristobulus. Uh, he was the brother-in-law of King Herod, the great here. He was brother-in-law. 
And King Herod the Great himself appointed Aristobulus to be the priest in Jerusalem. So he was up in Jerusalem as high priest. And uh, evidently, I think he was of the Jewish bloodline. And therefore, King Herod himself became paranoid about having Aristobulus up there in Jerusalem, thinking that maybe the Jer Jewish people would recognize his bloodline and want him to become the true, okay, true king of the Jews. And of course, being paranoid, um, King Herod didn't want that to happen. So he invited Aristobulus to come on down to his, one of his palaces, and they went swimming. And uh, somehow Aristobulus drowned. Okay? That gives you an idea. And as I was sharing with you earlier, you know, we looked at Caesarea, and of course there was that big swimming pool out in front of Caesarea. I got thinking, well, maybe that's where Herod did his dirty work. Eh? Maybe Aristobulus got drowned in that particular swimming pool. But that's the guy. That's, that's King Herod, okay? And so he's, this all happened before the, the threat came with the baby Jesus and killing of the baby boys. So anyhow, the destruction of paranoia, that was point number four. That's what happens when paranoia takes root in our lives. It's destruction takes place. And then lastly, number five here, the deliverance from paranoia. And that is in verses 19 through 20. So let's take a look at that. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. Okay, they are dead. So what we have here, even though Herod is paranoid and he is doing some atrocious things, yet God is in control. God is in control. Let me read a, read, a, read a segment uh, from the book, Trusting God. And, of course, some of you recognize Trusting God. This is the uh, book that we've been going through in our Bible study time here at church on Sunday mornings. Been a great, great study, very challenging. And in the book is on trusting God. Of course, it's about his sovereignty. God is in control. He makes, their, makes sure everything takes place and uh, makes sure that the good that he wants, he wants that to take place. He in, he guarantees that. Well, here, here's something about uh, his sovereignty regarding us, okay? Not only just Joseph and Mary, how he took care of them, but here's something for us as well. So he says this, How shall we respond to the fact that God is able to do and does, in fact, move in the minds and hearts of people to accomplish his will? Our first response should be one of trust. Our careers and destinies are in his hands, not the hands of bosses, commanding officers, professors, coaches, and all other people who, humanly speaking, are in a position to affect our futures. No one can harm you or jeopardize your future apart from the sovereign will of God. Moreover, God is able to and will grant you favor in the eyes of people who are in a position to do you good. You can entrust your future to God. You can entrust your future to God. And we see that taking place with Mary and Joseph, right? God, God delivered them from a man who was paranoid. He was crazy. And he says, you guys got to get out of Israel and get to Egypt because Herod, the crazy one, is going to kill, or at least try and kill Joseph. 
what I find is interesting, you know, how in the world are these poor people, Joseph and Mary, going to get to Egypt? Well, the Magi have just come and visited, right? And they gave to Mary and Joseph, as well as baby Jesus, what? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Man, that's a jackpot. Okay? There's the traveling expenses right there. And, of course, God, you know, he threw through an angel as well as through dreams. says, okay, guys, get out, but also, okay, it's, it's time to come back. So God is in control. He's in control. And uh, if anything, just, just remember that in your life too, okay? God is in control. He wants your good. Okay, he wants the best. He also wants to be glorified in it all, and so he's got, he's got you, okay? So we don't have to be paranoid. He's got us, all right? Well, okay, I want you to notice some things here. The progression of uh, Herod's paranoia. So we're going to review this once again. If you want to follow along in the outline of your, uh, in the back of your bulletin, that will help you. But here's the progression. Let's look at it. Notice the progress, progression of Herod's paranoia. We begin with the seeds of paranoia. The wise men come and say, hey, where is the king of the Jews? Seeds are planted. Those seeds then take root in Herod's life. How do we know that his paranoia is taking root? Because he is disturbed. He's bothered by this. And then because of his paranoia, Herod begins practicing deceit. Remember that? And he tells the magi, the wise men, hey, when you find him, come tell me so that I too can worship him. He's lying. Eventually, Herod crosses the line and his paranoia initiates destruction. The killing of the baby boys, two years of age and under. The progression, you see it there? The title of today's message is Christmas Paranoia. Christmas Paranoia. When you think about it, Christmas creates paranoia. What am I saying? Well, let, let me explain with you. In the Christmas story, the angel comes to Joseph, and we find this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The angel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, you know, th this is confusing, this is crazy, but yes, Mary is pregnant, and I don't want you to fear this. I want you to take Mary to be your wife, okay? And then the angel says this to Joseph, because Mary is going to give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That verse plants seeds of paranoia. You will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So here's what mankind does. Paranoia setting in. Hang in there with me. We go, what sins? Are you saying there's something wrong with me? Seeds are being planted through the Christmas story. And then the, the seeds of paranoia begin to take root 
in people's lives. People take offense that they need a Savior. And when you try to point out that they are a sinful individual, what do they say? Hey, don't judge me, or you too are going to be judged, all right? What do I need saving from? Paranoia is taking root. And then paranoia creates deceit. At least the Christmas story will create some deceit. Here's what I mean. To make us feel good, we have redefined sin. It's an alternative lifestyle. Okay? Hey, you got to be politically correct. Don't be saying those things. We have redefined our sin. And that's deceitful. That's, we're lying to ourselves. And we lie to ourselves and say, hey, you know, at least I'm not like so-and-so. So we use comparison. And in comparison, we become the standard. And we deceive ourselves with our own standard. And then paranoia creates destruction. When truth is rejected, destruction ensues. How is that? Today, good is called bad, and bad is now called good. The destruction continues. Ultimately, God's forgiveness is rejected. His gift of life is ignored. And one soul, one's soul, that part that lives on for eternity, that part ends up in a place devoid of celebration, of hope, of meaning. All because of being paranoid. But there is deliverance from paranoia. It's Jesus. That's what Christmas is about. It's about Jesus. And he has come to save his people from their sins. And those who embrace that truth personally, Invite Christ into their life to be their, be their Savior. He says they, they experience life abundantly. That's what Christmas is all about. Christ has come to deliver us from the paranoia of our sin. That's what Christmas is all about. Let's pray. God, thanks again for this Advent season, and Lord, thank you for this series that we've worked through entitled Scandalous. Although it's a scandal, Lord God, you use it for the good of us. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. And we pray this in Jesus' name.